Zaniolo pace. How many players do we have in the squad? Like, how long was this video? How long was this fucking segment of the podcast, it sounds like? Cash, by the way, not happy with his shooting stats. We're <laughs> in the 90s, were they? I deserve higher. Tim Sherwood here. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. Aston Villa are so good sometimes. <laughs> Ollie Watkins is so likeable all the time. Unai Emery is pumped up to the 90s when he has a very specific plan to crush a very revered system. Just put a system that's been praised in high heavens in front of Unai Emery and watch what happens. Watch what happens. Do not antagonise that man. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm honestly telling you. This thing we call football, it is just beautiful some days. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but you don't expect, you're not accustomed to having days like this as an Aston Villa fan. Yeah, you know, I know we, I know we battered Liverpool, but that really was an aberration. I mean, like, you know, Liverpool stood in the halfway line and watched Watkins, Grealish and Barkley just run past them and threw on goal. And there were, there were three or four big deflections. It was an empty stadium. And it wasn't at half 12 on a Saturday, so it didn't have that magical <laughs> quality of setting up the weekend. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what the world throws at me because Aston Villa have just spanked a rival. And I, I know I said I didn't want to put too fine a point on it, but it wasn't just a spanking. It was a fucking ritual humiliation. And, and again, not, not some hazing at a frat party either. Like, Unai Emery and the lads looked deep into their souls and pulled out their deepest, darkest fears and anxieties and then made them face it and succumb to it. I mean, like, you know, for, forget about a cricket bat to the arse. Unai Emery was dosing fucking Brighton water bottles with ayahuasca and taking them on a trip for your most embarrassing moments and biggest regrets. And then just for the laugh intermittently, throwing a fucking scorpion down their cacks and putting on a creepy mask and wailing at them. So it was a lot different to that Liverpool game. And, and I... I didn't know I like watching that sort of thing, Conan, but I'm probably going to have to get a burner phone now so the wife doesn't see it. <laughs> Speaking of souls, it looked like the souls of every Brighton player and Roberto De Zerbi had left their body as well as that game unfolded. It was just perfect. And you could see, like, this is why you and I, Emery were so pumped up. His fists were clenched. He was, he, was, he was banging his arms down. He was lifting his shoulders. He was walking like a hard man. It was like... Yes, that's exactly what I wanted you to do. Do it again. And I'll do it again. Do it again. <laughs> and over and over and over. They just embarrassed them. They, they, they absolutely hammered them. I'm like, did this Brighton team that we've all been talking about for good reason? They've been good. But they've not been as good as Villa, by the way. We're going to get back to that. And Unai Emery took great pleasure in showing everybody who the fucking boss is in this league. And it's Unai Emery. It was absolutely perfect. It was a destruction. I mean, you, you described it perfectly there. We just went, go, 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 go. Everything that Brighton thought they had was taken away from them and everything they thought Villa had didn't appear and we just did something different that they weren't expecting. Yeah. Well, we've got seven goals to rattle through here. <laughs> That's just what happens in Villa games. They score all the time. It's mad. Like, I, I don't know a team who just creates chances or they look to create a goal-scoring chance every time they have the ball. It's it's amazing. Like, I, oh, my God. You know, Emery has changed my life. But the first goal, <laughs> the first goal, and it shows you, it shows you this, this plan that they had because I don't know if you... 
if you rewind a little bit when Diaby and McGinn are interchanging position and they're, <laughs> they're very clearly trying to get the ball into McGinn in this, what is it you call that, that the half space in, in from the right wing and Diaby goes out and he, the, the centre-back doesn't know whether to go with him or not. But as this is happening, three times Cash goes to run at Matoma in this diagonal run. It's like, are we doing it yet? And he has to come back. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows you're not set. And he tries to go again. Are we doing it yet? Oh, no, no. Okay, whenever he's ready, I'm ready to go. And then he just, he just went. Kept himself onside brilliantly. Lovely ball from again. You know, I love that ball inside the defender. And Cash just gets so fast. And, ah, Matt Cash, he doesn't shoot this time, does he? He puts the ball right in front of Ollie Watkins. Such a good cross. Such a good run from him. And Watkins puts it away. And we are up and running. Yeah, like, and, and I'm not a physicist, so it's hard for me to fully understand how McGinn is able to create so much time and space with just his arse. Like, you know, it must it must be something to do with its gravitational pull. I'm not quite ready to pretend to understand gravitational slingshots and <laughs> orbital mechanics, but you know, I don't I don't need to because John McGinn has taken this premise to the lab and worked on it rigorously. <laughs> and I and I admit I was a skeptic, Conan. I mean, it was it was too high risk. You know, I'd seen it fail too many times. And I, I wouldn't have gotten into the first commercial jet either, you know. So let's get that clear. It's not like I, it's not like I was just going ahead, you know, was refusing to go ahead with an innovation. But McGinn has perfected this now. Like you know, he's showing me his body of evidence, and I will ride, I will applaud that arse all day long. And he, he, spent, <laughs> <laughs> he spent so long trying to get his feet right as well. But luckily, he had he had that big arse there ready to go. And it is two great balls after each other. And speaking about breakthroughs, speaking about innovations, Matt Cash not shooting from the wing. Who would have thought this would work as a ploy? And it's a great ball across the Watkins. And it was good that, you know, maybe there was a bit of frustration with Matt Cash. Said, yeah, well, let's see what you can do, Ollie. You've been crying at me. You're <laughs> You've been saying you're always in the box. Put your money where your mouth is. Oh, that worked. And Matt Cash looked delighted in fairness. He was coming running over, screaming. It turns out Matt Cash just likes some Villa score goals. But the second, <laughs> the second goal, Brighton freak out now at this stage because they know they are a bit rumbled. Villa aren't jumping up too quick. They're, they're not getting fooled by Brighton's centre-backs going a bit wider. The, 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 the Villa forwards and the men behind him like McGinn the, the, they're not they're not being split either they're watching the centre of the pitch when Welbeck and Ferguson are coming deep they're not being pulled all over the shop like the, Pau Torres might have gone with Welbeck but Conza always stayed Kamara dropped back Villa knew where to be anytime Brighton had the ball no matter where Brighton were manoeuvring the ball and even Zaniolo was cutting in as well he did some amount of work in fairness to him he didn't do much on the ball but he did a good shift and he, he came in and followed the sort of narrow midfielders in and I mean Brighton have some boy called Hinchelwood playing in midfield for them and he, try, he just gets put under a lot of pressure from Zaniolo he freaks out he tries to get it back falls to the wrong man Musa Diaby who just puts that ball in front of Watkins. I think Brighton don't seem to realise how fast Watkins is. Every single game they play against him, they just let him run in between the centre-halves and Diaby just puts it away for him. Watkins goes, cuts back, and you're thinking, oh, if you pulled it back too... Watkins does this, doesn't he? He looks like he slowed it down. He looks like he wants too much time, but he always he always has the time because he's strong enough and he just pulls it back into the near post. It's such a, such a good finish. I actually think it was uh, Joe Veltman that it happened to, and he really couldn't have handpicked a nicer guy to have such a calamitous moment than Joe <laughs> Veltman, as far as I'm concerned. There's, there's there's a handful of people I like to see in the same position that he was fucking seen in at that weekend, like you know Bruno Fernandez, Anthony, Robin Cock, Kukurea, 
lads of that ilk that's exactly who i want to see taking an absolutely dreadful panicky touch in the middle of the pitch and then first time from diaby talking about taking a touch in the middle of the pitch what a perfect piece of decision making then and then we're all screaming, I play it all day for fuck's sake. Oh, fucking well done, mate. <laughs> he does really well to manipulate it once he refuses the first time left foot pass across the box. Turns out he decided to take my advice for all these years if the pass is just as difficult as the shot. <laughs> just take the shot, Ollie, good man. Take the shot, but you know what else was the mantra throughout this game? Just take the ball off him. Just take the ball off him and go. And Dougie Louise goes when he gets the ball and he pulls back. It's a nice pullback. He tries to chip it over then <laughs> as a development or somebody else he tries to chip over and he falls over. Maybe maybe March was in, in the act there. And uh, there, there's a hint of a foul, but, you know, it's Douglas Louise's head and when he let him away with it. And Villa go. And then Watkins goes and look at Dean goes. And it's a one-two. Watkins to Dean, back to Watkins. Plays it across to Diaby. It is very nice from Watkins this time. Sets up Diaby. First shot isn't great. Gets a chance of the second shot. Second shot isn't great. And <laughs> it's stupid and does the rest for him. Yeah, I mean, Doggy was really leading and quite literally leaning into his nickname there. You know, snapping at, snapping at his ankles <laughs> like he's a postman bringing the fucking bills. It was, it was absolutely ridiculous. A terrible decision to flick it over his head and then a terrible decision to dive at his feet with a fucking diving header. Such but, you know, fair play. Some, sometimes it works. <laughs> we did work it really well after that. Two absolutely terrible finishes from Diaby. I mean, he must he must never have struck the ball that badly twice in a row in his whole fucking life. And I always wonder in this situation, would the defender risk dummying the ball instead of just risking kicking it into his own net? I mean, there's nobody really following him behind. Have a quick glance. If you can't sort your feet out, then just let the ball sort itself out and go past the post. Mm. You don't need to fucking scuff one into the bottom corner. No, it was it was it was a bad decision from Estupinin. Estupunyan or Est Estupinin? Stupid <laughs> bastard, I'm gonna call him after that. <laughs> but that was a mauling session. That first half was an absolute mauling session. I think the first I think it was the first eight minutes it was very uncomfortable. It was like, oh we just we haven't had the ball. We don't look like we're getting out of our half. It wasn't wasn't a nice feeling, but it just shows you how, how the game can shift this game of football. <laughs> and, you know, I think a lot of it is mental. Obviously, we're well set up. Obviously, we've got really good players. But once Villa knew it was working, once they scored a goal, you could tell they smelt blood. Like, their tails were up. Everybody was feeling good. They they knew Brighton weren't enjoying themselves, more importantly. The crowd knew it. The players knew it. They were, they were all chasing a bit harder. They were all a bit bolder. And I know sometimes that might freak Emery out a little bit, where it's like, you know, calm down, stick to the system. I think they were sticking to the system, only they were really confident in it on the ball and off the ball. Like that that first half was was something else. And we've seen a lot of great performances from Villa, Newcastle standing out as well, but like just this was just unreal stuff. It was absolutely incredible. Got everything right. The players implemented it perfectly, and you're right. It, it might have made Emery panic a little bit if he wasn't so sure of the system. I mean, the system was working so well. Seeing the players run their own like maniacs, like that can make it seem a little bit confused. And it is a little bit anathema to what Emery has been doing for the last last 10 months. But it worked so well. It was a new game plan and it was perfectly suited to the opposition. The Brighton goal to start of the second half. Like I, I don't want to cry, right? But only Villa concede this goal. <laughs> 
It's, it's, it's almost out of play. I'm, I'm convinced it was. Didn't get to see a proper replay of it. And then McGinn goes sliding. McGinn goes sliding past the screen off the camera. He just goes. He goes way out of play. And like, I mean, I'm trying to think. You compare that to to Kanza, you know, with Jao Pedro, just the way he he just he just stands somebody up. He stands up with him and says, "Why don't you try and try and do something with the ball?" And then Jao Pedro tries to run with the ball, and Kanza just nudges him out of the way. McGinn. If he can do anything, he can nudge people out of the way with that arse of his. So just just take a leaf out of Kansas book. He went sliding in at the end lane there. Only, ugh, I was going to say there's only one place to go. Actually, the point is there's not only one place to go. He can stop the ball and then watch you slide past him. But then, <laughs> even then, like I feel like Luca Dean did really well to get an intercept the ball he came across. And then Kanza I felt like he got there first. Jesus, it's just... I mean, I mean, McGinn goes sliding past the ball, doesn't go to play. It comes in, it goes back, Kanza deflects it, and then the keeper. And like because McGinn is not, I, I, I actually thought when the player was off the pitch, he no longer counts. But obviously, I need to update myself on the offside rule. And the <laughs> keeper is now playing the Brighton players offside. He also both look, you know, obviously both. Anthony Fadi looks offside, and he's he's been played on by by Martinez's arse really. Yeah, I mean, I think you're being very fucking kind to look at Dean there. I mean, he plays it straight back to the guy where the balls come from. I mean, the situation looks hectic, but a top player takes the heat out of that situation and takes a touch, and then after that, sure, it's just an absolute, it's an absolute mess, and the ball ends up in the net, and it's pretty fucking, it's a pretty nice introduction to the Premier League and Villa Park for Ansu Fati. Uh, Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins got the fourth goal, though, the one that we knew we needed. The next goal was most important. And it's just it's such a nice drop-off from Ollie Watkins, just dropping that ball to McGinn. And it's a great driving run from John McGinn. And the dink to Watkins is just gorgeous. <laughs> Only one thing I'd say about this goal is, did you not want Watkins to just fucking lace that ball as it was dropping? <laughs> no. It was such a nice pass from McGinn, but he took it down. Took it down, got it on, and he got the shot on target and deflected and went in. And, you know, yeah, he did the job, won the game for us. But come on, get your foot through that. You've earned it. You've already have two goals. <laughs> and you're right that it is an absolutely brilliant drop-off from Ollie initially. And McGinn's dink is, is perfect. And fair play. Fair play to Ollie for resisting the first time Spank. Turns out he has a bit more nuance in his thinking than you do. But- <laughs> Like the keeper didn't get off the ground for it. Like you know, it's a classic goal. We've seen the ball loop into the net hundreds of times like that. But I would expect Emmy Martinez to make a better job of saving that. It's not anywhere near the corner. And it was like, it was like the keeper forgot he could he could move his feet again and then tried to dive after the ball from the initial position he had taken for the initial shot. Like I, I don't think I've ever looked at Emmy Martinez and checked the colour of his six-yard box to make sure it wasn't a tray of custard he was jumping out of. And to be fair, I don't think anyone has ever looked at Jason Steele and thought a comparison with Emmy Martinez was appropriate either, so maybe I'm going too far. <laughs> I was just going to say that. But uh, <laughs> the fourth goal did have a cut to the stands for us. And per Gareth Southgate, this, this is not what he needs. Like he, Gareth Southgate comes to Villa Park a lot, but it's obviously just on his off weekends. He goes just to, to watch a game of football. He's not interested. He's not, he's not working. He's not on duty when he's at Villa Park. There's nobody there of interest in him. And then Ollie Watkins is running around scoring a hat-trick, holding the ball up, winning ball, running more than anybody, looking strong like he always does. Ezra Conza looks like football is beneath him. Like this, this is not the sort of this is not what Gareth Southgate needs, and it cuts to him after Ollie Watkins scores a hat trick, and he looks miserable. He's just thinking, he's thinking, how am I going to square this with Amanda Staveley if I don't call up Callum Wilson? 
I mean, a man that treats me really well when I go up to Newcastle, like, what am I going to do here? And, and there was a great quote from Ollie Watkins afterwards. We could we could give it the quote of the week award if we want, but he said, he said, I think I've done enough. I've just scored three goals against a top five team. I can't do any more, so it's up to him. <laughs> <laughs> My striker. Yeah, it's like the time Tyrone Ming said, none is James in my performances. I don't know why I'm being called up. <laughs> that was so good, actually. <laughs> uh, it's going to be some competition for the end of season. John Gregory, if I had a gun, I would have shot him award. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the la- and they're all going to be Gareth Southgate based, and I'm sure you could pull a few out of this podcast as well. <laughs> and then I know you just want to get talking about this fifth goal. I mean, it feels like the first 15 minutes of this podcast has just been torture for you. All you want to do is talk about <laughs> Talk about Starboy's return, and I do have good news to report to you. When Jacob Ramsey banged that ball in, or when Jacob Ramsey caressed that ball in from that far out, only Jacob Ramsey can do that. Unai Emery celebrated that goal more than he celebrated the rest of them. I got uh, Unai came up on the Aston Villa socials, and he was off the ground, two feet off the ground at 5-1, and I know it was because Jacob Ramsey got in on the action, and uh, again, it's great play. It's Kamara and Duran, I think. They're, they're, they're hassling Brighton and, and they win it back and then Dougie just bangs it forward to, to Watkins. He, he just drops it off again to Ramsey. And Ramsey's doing the thing we just talked about. We were, <laughs> we were talking about him in a game that he wasn't even playing against Everton. We're just saying how good he is, how he's always square to the defenders. And this is the thing with Ramsey. Like they're, they're, they're afraid because he can go in either direction. You know, it's, it looks stupid. You're like, why would you let him just turn on to his right foot? It's Jacob Ramsey. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't watch his right foot. He'll just go past you on his left, and he can, and he, he can do anything. He can, he can come any direction. He can, he can go at you. He can pull back. He can pass. And the crowd's excitement as well is just getting closer and closer. They, they know, they know he's got this in his locker, and it's great that he actually just did it. Just turned on his right and whipped that bad boy off the far post. Yeah, and you can go in either direction. You can go in either direction at fucking lightning speed as well. So you are fucked. Like it's it's a, it's a nightmare. It's the I, I think I've talked in this podcast before about if I have the ball, the last player in the world who I want to be coming towards me is Kyle Walker. I just I just don't know how I'd beat him. I can't figure it out. I don't know. I don't know what would happen. I, I wouldn't be able to get my body shape right to try and shake him off. I wouldn't. I don't have the pace. I don't have the power. I don't have the, the noise that he seems to have. He seems to pick up the ball in any position he wants. Same, the opposite's true. If you're defending, the last player you want running at you is Jacob Ramsey because he can do it all. He can do whatever he wants. He, he barely even kicked that ball. He just, <laughs> he just rolled it onto the bottom corner from 22 yards out. It was incredible. It was such a fin- like such a good finish. And it, We can see he's lining it up, but he's not lining it up that much. It's not like it's not like Philippe Coutinho. It's not like everybody's in the stadium is waiting for him to have a shot. He just kind of caresses it with his big toe into the bottom corner. So delicate, so perfect. And my favorite thing about that is he's just looking over his left shoulder the whole time as well. And he says, like, you know, thanks for the help, Luca, but you're all right, mate. And just bends <laughs> into the corner. <laughs> I think he's egging Luca to come running alongside him as well. It's like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Nah, I'm only messing, mate. There you go. <laughs> the funny thing about that was that look, I busted a gun, but he, he, he didn't. He didn't use the overlap either. Like I don't know exactly what happened. But it wasn't like he, he benefited from that overlap. He just watched him run on past him. He's like, all right, no, it's all right. I'm actually going this way now instead. Don't worry about it. But yeah, like so, so delicate, so perfect, so JJ. Really, it was it was brilliant. And and then the sixth goal, Ollie misses a one on one. 
<laughs> We're going to nitpick. Ollie Watkins misses a one on one. It's uh, Telemans gets it to McGinn round a corner to Watkins. A lovely pass from McGinn. McGinn was, McGinn was really good actually. And uh, geez, Watkins should have just gone bottom right. Really, I don't know what he did. Did he try to give the keeper the eyes and pull it? He sort of just hit it straight at him. And anyway, Dougie just showed him where he should have put it all on. <laughs> he just he just rolled it in that same bottom corner. A lot more tamer than I thought he would have had to. And from further out as well. Yeah, and it was a great ball from Yuri Tielemans initially. I mean, he, a player who very definitely has this in his locker as well. Unfortunately for most of the season, he looked like he's had a stash of hash in his locker as well and he's been smoking it under the bleachers <laughs> at halftime. Anyway, we won 6-1, so we should focus on the positives. It's a shit finish from Ollie Watkins, actually. You're right, and it's dreadful. Like, he's kind of just hit it straight at the keeper at stomach height. The keeper doesn't have to do much with it. But luckily, Douglas Louise treated it like it was an 18-yard penalty <laughs> and just rolled it between Ollie Watkins and the goalkeeper. It was an incredible, incredible finish from Douglas Louise. Uh, it was an incredible, incredible victory, incredible performance, incredible day, incredible weekend. Uh, let's, let's take a quick break and we'll go to WhatsApp Winges. Couple of little whinges. The first one's towards the commentator. <laughs> I've never heard a commentator like this before. Like talk about talk about giving you the shits. He said Douglas Louise picks up a yellow card, which is his fifth of the season in all competitions. <laughs> <laughs> Ruined the game for me momentarily. But um the Douglas Louise I think is on a fourth yellow card, which I don't like. I don't like Douglas Weeds doesn't need to be committing that many yellow cards. Too important now, as it turns out as well. So just relax, would you, mate? And like, like the reality is now we are going to have a game without Douglas Weeds. I don't like that. I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy that. Look at Dean on his sixth yellow card. I mean, sixth? Sixth yellow card. And it's always a 30-second minute as well. And honestly, every <laughs> yellow card he's gotten is between the 30th and 40 minutes. And it's amazing that he just... He never then fouled somebody for the rest of the game. Again, just, just do that for the whole game. I know Sully March looked like he turned him, but ah, for fuck's sake, he's just making life hard for himself. But again, he's on four yellow cards in the league, so he's picked up two elsewhere. Um, he, he seems to pick up a yellow card every time he's playing, to be honest. I, I think he's the, the absolute poster boy for second wind, isn't he? Because he does seem to be very fucking tired towards the end of the first half of of most games. And he just he obviously has been playing every game this season. Yeah. So it's, it's actually remarkable that he has finished out all those games. Yeah, this is the boy. Don't forget, this is the boy in our game against Everton. Start of the season, he was looking to come off. Signaling, giving them the subs roll. He hands to the bench and bring me off. They never brought him off. He was fine. Kept going. Second, so said, oh, "Look, we know you got second win. Just go and find that, and you'll be all right." I know you probably haven't had to use your second win yet against Everton. Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, another yellow card win, actually. Ezra Kanza, lucky enough not to get a second yellow. Did they need to go at Ansu Fadi like that? I mean, if we are being fair, like I, I was only looking at it from a Villa point of view initially. It was like, ah, Ezra, come on, look, don't get sent off. Don't you get suspended as well? But. I think Ansu Fadi probably deserved a red card too for lifting his knee towards Kanza. Maybe the ref was right just to tell them both to grow up. I, th- I think in a situation where Ezra Kanza doesn't have a yellow card, he definitely books both of them for that. Yeah. But I, I like that as well. I mean, it was Ezra Kanza welcoming Fadi to the Premier League. I would imagine he had him by the neck and said, it's not all square balls for me across the fucking six-yard box. <laughs> that actually hurt my stomach. Um <laughs> The the first WhatsApp one, 
Why do clubs think it's a good idea to show players their FIFA cards? <laughs> what? I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the the Aston Villa social media account. You're as familiar. Do you want? Do you want, to, do you want to guess? <laughs> but before this game, they're doing like every club's doing it. It's not just Aston Villa. I don't care. I don't care how much money FIFA are paying you when your players aren't rated that highly. They don't need to see it. <laughs> like, can Story pay you good money as well? It's not always a good idea to just take the money. I mean, it's not always a good end product. So we get the social media video before the Brighton game. And remember, my last experience of Aston Villa was I'm getting hammered by Everton midweek. And now I'm suddenly seeing these players being reminded that they're losers. Just like, here, here's your here's your rating. What do you think of that? And every one of them had an issue with it. Good content. I really enjoyed the content. But even Emmy <laughs> Martinez looks at it and he goes straight down to speed, 58, and he doesn't like it. And he just says, I can run, so. <laughs> you know, Emmy's like thick defensiveness. Pau Torres likes 83. 83 is good. But again, he looks down at passing, like it's 60 something. He says, I need more passing here. Points at that. JJ, your man. Like, see, this is the problem, right? JJ's happy with 7-8. This is why I was worried about JJ two years ago. And I... This <laughs> <laughs> is the same time you're worried about or you wanted Jason Knight in, so we can all take your worry about J- JJ with a pinch of salt. You told me to lay off him. You told me to lay off him, but I didn't want them settling for 7-8 in FIFA. And he showed it to John McGinn. John McGinn looks like... John McGinn looks like a nice lad, let's be honest. We all know this. We all see it from behind the scenes. But he shows a... He looks a bit older when he's talking to JJ. Like he's smiling sweetly at him. <laughs> JJ turns around. JJ turns around. He's like, decent card, that. Showing him his card and all innocently. And McGinn's smiling and he looks at it and he says, Pace has got to be higher, isn't it? And then he just looks at the camera for JJ as well. He says, EAFC is rigged. Classic McGinn. Great, great content, to be honest. But, you know, but then there you go. JJ, who's happy with his card, and I'm not even happy that he's happy with his card, has something picked out for him then as well, where John McGinn says, Well, they think you're slow as shit. <laughs> and then all, all Diaby can see, all we see from Diaby is his physicality. 59! 59 for his physicality. <laughs> he just points straight down to the bottom right corner and like he looks disappointed. He says it has to be higher. The social media guy is chiming in as well. All, all you hear from him is saying, definitely, definitely. I was like, oh my God, just just get it away from him, Zaniolo. How many players do we have in the squad? Like, how long was this video? As long as this fucking segment of the podcast, it sounds like. <laughs> Zaniolo, what I like about him, I told you I like the cut of his jib. Pace 83, this, this is for me not good. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Zaniolo. But then, sorry, does he does does that mean it's a fair reflection and he's saying it's not good that that's what my pace is, or is he saying it's not a true reflection? <laughs> Actually, we won't know. We won't know about that. But look, thankfully, you will for you. The, this video is climaxing now, and Douglas Weasley looks at it. Seventy nine. He says it's good. Next season, it's better, and he hands the card away. <laughs> What a hero. And then that was just vindicated because Ollie Watkins and Matt Cash were then talking about it in an, in an extended video, which we're going to get to next. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get to fucking next week, by the sounds of this. <laughs> and I think Watkins got 80 and Cash is like, oh, you should be higher, you should be higher. Cash, by the way, not happy with his shooting stats. <laughs> <laughs> but in the 90s, were they? Oh, is there higher? 
<laughs> Let's keep a close eye on that one. But Ollie said he was happy with 80 because Dougie's 79 and he is a joke. He's a joke. He's boys. Big hard the joke I sent me meant to. Um, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried about your your reasoning there, Con. Like you, you sounded like you were worried that these lads were going to see this and that was going to impact them and that was going to you know dampen them and make them less good because someone has told them they're not good. Some some lad who's creating a, some sort of algorithm for FIFA has told them they're not that good. You think that's going to impact these professional footballers? I mean, think about the level you're at in sport in general. <laughs> All right, steady on. This is turning into a compliment. If I told you, and remember the level you're at, sports, if I told you you couldn't possibly run an 18 minute, 30 second 5K, and I told you that in all honesty, I didn't think you had it within you, you would do that within a month. And that's you. You're shite. So think about how these players think about how these players are going to be receiving this information. Think all of them are taking it the same way Douglas Louise is. Maybe not all of them have the confidence and arrogance to exhibit that on a on a fucking four hundred and fifty five minute long uh, segment on the club's website. But they are all taking it like that. They're all unbelievably aggressive in their in their own mentality and how they want to improve. Relax. Let's see what I say next week whenever they haven't just won six one. You know, I don't think you should be so worried about it. <laughs> yeah. What what'd they give Diaby? 59? Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's fucking lucky to get up that high. <laughs> the second WhatsApp when When are people gonna wake up? Where is the respect? Where is the respect out there? Like I'm just getting angry now. I watch Villa crush these jokers that they call Brighton and Hove Albion. And I'm just getting angry at it now. Deserby, no doubt, is a good manager. He's done a great job. But most people don't seem to realise or care that Emery has been outperforming him for almost a whole year now. I mean, they don't realise that... Like, this is the thing. I think the stats come out after every game, but it's up to like 32 games now that Emery's played in the Premier League. 58 points. Only City have more points. Phil have more points than Liverpool under Unai Emery. This, this is where Villa are at. They're the second highest scorers in the league this season. I mean, and you look you look through it all, but people want to talk about Brighton all the time. Throughout that game, it was a joke. It was all through the context of Brighton. And, and again, not just a Brighton were ahead of Villa going into this game. It's like Villa have been performing bad, Brandon. Watkins is out of everyone's fantasy team, and we know he scores goals. All the, well, Only Salah and Haaland have more goal contributions than Watkins since Emery has come in. Arteta only last season has finally beaten Emery's one season at Arsenal. I saw some thread saying how Villa and Newcastle are good at beating weak teams, and that's true. But it was basically saying the ultimate step now is doing what teams like City and Brighton do, play the same way against every team. How, how the hell did that work out against a Unai Emery team? They got destroyed. Joe Cole. Joe Cole talk well. Joe, Joe Cole's a joke. He talked about Steven Gerrard laying the foundations for for Emery here. He said that, <laughs> and, then, and then he went on to say, "I think, I think he's trying to give Villa a compliment after saying that. I think, I think they can compete for a Champions League place, which I agree with. I don't say that lightly." Quote: We've seen Newcastle. We've seen Brighton. 
nor does Villa teams going to push. I don't want to hate on Brighton. Like Brighton have done phenomenally well. The Zerbi has done brilliantly well. They are great to watch. They're doing really well. But we've seen Brighton, to quote Joe Cole, we've seen them finish a point ahead of Villa last season when Villa had 11 games under Gerrard. 11 games under Steven Gerrard. That's what, that's what Emery had to work with last year. And it's just continued that on now into this season. 32 games, 58 points. Nobody other than Man City outperforming Emery. It, it's, it's been incredible. This is all coming from the fact that there's there's an infantilization of Brighton and Hove Albion because the biggest trophy they have is is a League One title about 13 years ago. And I I think this is it's best exemplified by the fact that Graham Potter got the Chelsea job. Chelsea, you know, a, a club who were embarking on a on a spend of what, like a billion quid over the last three windows. <laughs> Graham Potter got that job because he won four out of six games at the start of last season. Like it, it was either that or the fact that he finished 15th, 16th on mid-table in his previous three years at Little Old Brighton and Hope Albion. <laughs> but, the, but the weird thing is, everyone talks about the incredible job that Brighton have done in the transfer market, so they must know that that means, or perhaps more penitently, that they had very good players. So, so, so while managing the churn of players and playing good football is impressive, it's not enough for the entire pre-game and the past 12 months to be about Roberto De Zerbi. I mean, like, some things have also gone in Brighton's favour off the field. Like, the scouting network is obviously incredible. They got £60 million for Kukurea, plus the intangible, unquantifiable benefit of getting Kukurea out of their fucking dressing room. And <laughs> <laughs> every conversation about an Emery... They, they keep reflecting on his failed tenure at Arsenal. Oh, my like, God. I, I don't need to go through the fact that he improved their league position from the previous year, finished fifth and lost the European Cup final to Chelsea and did that with Postapolopoulos and fucking Mustafi as a centre-half. <laughs> that's, that's too much information for football pundits. I mean, I think it's about three sentences long, so there you go. And it's certainly, it's certainly too much reasoning for football pundits as well because it's talking about mighty old Arsenal not challenging for the title, even though that hadn't happened in 15 years. And you can you can hear the confusion in the pundit's voice if you can hear it over the fucking wind blowing through their ears when they're when they're presented with what with what Emery has achieved everywhere else and what he's doing at Villa, because because like little old Brighton, mighty old Arsenal carry an expectation of performance formed over decades. Well, it, it was that, and it was the the layers of xenophobia relating to the fact that he's really sound and pronounced V with a B sound. That that's yeah. the type of made people not respect Unai Emery because he didn't immediately turn Arsenal who weren't title challengers into title challengers yeah no he just picked up on the job that had Wenger Arsene Wenger imagine him in Arsenal folklore now the the, the, the job that had him hounded out by Arsenal in the end like the, the, nobody wanted him there and then it was best for everybody to leave and Emery picked that up and, and finished fifth again he continued that on, like you say, he got the European final, broke the 70-point mark, which, again, I know I repeated this last year as well, but Arteta didn't do that until this season. Um, yeah, and he didn't have the luxury of, of bombing out all that dead wood that was left over in the squad. And like, I do think it's it's because of that as well. It's because, and and I'd say more what they would class themselves as more, more um, thoughtful pundits and more fair pundits, they don't even realise that that's the reason that they don't really give Emery the respect. They don't realise it's because a load of people didn't like. Well, uh, and whether or not it's because he said the B or the V in the evening, it's it because he said good evening before uh, before an interview. 
And, and this has gotten into these pundits' head now as well. That this, ah, this guy's a joker. This guy couldn't cope with Barkley's ball. You know, not, <laughs> <laughs> not in this country, mate. Like it's yeah, it's it's, it's incredible. And like it's funny because I am sort of um, I don't know how well I also cope with really getting a lot of attention. <laughs> I know people like you know to stay under the radar as well. I I can get it. So I, I'm sort of I don't think I'd be happy either way because it's like. I, I want Emery especially to get the respect he deserves. I, I want people to start recognizing Villa. This has been going on for ages. As I can say, it's almost been a full year. Villa have been brilliant to get the ball and try to score and they usually do score. And I want that to be recognized. I think it's. I think it makes me think less of football people that they still haven't been talking about them properly yet. Not until they beat Brighton. Not until they beat Mighty Brighton. Smash them. But then I also don't like when when everybody is talking about your team and they're, they're getting things wrong or they're, they all feel a bit more ownership over it. I don't just mean ownership in a fantasy football way where people are jumping on the, the walking strain now just because he scored a hat-trick, even though he scored four goals and gotten seven fantasy football assists so far. Um, but yeah, that doesn't sit right with me either. Yeah, and look, it, it, it is it is frustrating because of the comparison. Like the Zerbi's obviously doing a good job, but it is frustrating because of the comparison and the fact that fucking every hipster, every pundit, every fucking candlestick maker has been praising the Zerbi for the last 12 months. <laughs> if you are a candlestick maker and you don't like the Zerbi, get in touch with us. And the village, <laughs> we would love to hear from you. We'll get you on the show. Anyway, we'll take a break and we're going to come back with the awards after a new sting. Enjoy. <laughs> you and I, Emery, underneath that Aston Villa blazer as well. I don't think, have we seen the Aston Villa blazer on an I, Emery? I don't fucking know, Conan. <laughs> well, we do questions we can't answer, but probably will. Let's do anything else, literally <laughs> anything else. But speaking of tuxedos, Matt Cash was taking this thing seriously. Matt Cash was there wearing a dicky bow. Tyrone Mings was slagging him for his shoes, said they were too big for him, but he looked the part. Ollie Watkins with a simple black tie. We could probably do a whole bloody podcast on this. It turns out you can't you can't use your bench boost when you when you play a wild card on the same game list. It was an award ceremony and they wore suits and somebody who's talking about a fashion segment on a football podcast doesn't even know what a lapel is. Like what what do you think? What do you think the talking point is here? Like, what do you what do you think the broadcastable content is here? Well, like, it's, it's, where, it's, where do you think this conversation is going, Conan? Like, what, what, I think it's the, going towards John Duran wearing trainers and Leon Bailey wearing a polo shirt underneath his black blazer. Like, what is wrong with you? You must be a fucking nightmare to go to a wedding with. Hey, hey, <laughs> I'll tell you what, hey, tell you what, bike show for Mickey to go tireless. And not because it's a formal affair. I didn't think you had the neck for it, if I'm being honest. Well, the good news, like, well, it's not even good news because of the double game week. Like, you would think, well, Barkley won't, like, one of your bench players will not come in. But Barkley will play someone against Sheffield United. So but like, the good news, you're falling into the trap of thinking that anyone gives a flying fuck about your fantasy football team. <laughs> I was actually about to say there, at least weddings happen more often in the summer, so you're less likely to drift into fucking fantasy football talk. But then I remembered, end of July, start of August, is the worst time to have a conversation with you, because you've got this fucking blank expression on your face and a heightened restlessness, even impatience, because all you want to do is steer the conversation back to whether or not you should go for Salah and Watkins to distinguish yourself from everyone else who's going with Almiron and Haaland and something about a double game week and some bollocks about someone else cooking and someone else's idol being finished, sadly. 
<laughs> so, underneath his, what did you say it was called, a lapel? Jesus. Underneath that. That would make sense because my friends in the media call the microphone a lapel mic because that's where it attaches. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew why it was called a lapel mic. But underneath. You know, you pressed record, yeah? Rest. You pressed, you pressed record half an hour ago, maybe you've forgotten. <laughs> it's still recording. What do you think of that? <laughs> oh, I think you're a fucking idiot. The Ronnie Rosenthal Award. I think we scored all our chances, didn't we? Apart <laughs> from Molly Watkins. Molly Watkins, he's probably going to win this again. Obviously, he went straight through, one on one, and missed. But he scored a hat trick. We'll let him wave it. But the first chance went to Brighton, and it was Estupinian. Estupinian. And uh, he, it was a lovely dink pass. Might have been from Hinchelwood. I was giving him a bit of shit at the start of the podcast. I was blaming him for something that evidently wasn't his fault. But uh, lovely, <laughs> lovely dink ball. It's in behind. He's in behind again. Uh, he just doesn't really connect with it. Martinez makes the save. Bread and butter for that man. Yeah, and and John McGinn fell asleep for the only time in the game, and he fucking made up for it in the next forty minutes of the match. After or next forty yeah. minutes of that half, particularly, and stupid and running around the ball to get it on his left foot. It was strange for a player of his quality to feel like he had to do that, and then he's fallen while he's hitting it in the desperation to try and get onto his left. It just looked odd. Looked odd. Uh, the Solly March header looked odd when the ball was it headed inside by Veltman. It was again mm. a sort of sprayed diagonal ball headed inside and March. Jesus, it should have done much better. Would have stole back Demi, but he headed it over. It was uh, it was awful carry on. That's when I thought, hmm, we could we could get at these boys. I think it was one 0 at that stage, and we we did get at them. <laughs> I think at this stage, because Brighton were getting chances as well, I was thinking, this is going to be a fucking brilliant game, which everybody had expected as well. And uh, just yeah. as I was just as I was about to sit down to the match, the barman asked me what, what was my prediction for the game, and I, I said, it could, be, it could be five all, I don't know. I thought after, <laughs> after, about, ten, after about ten minutes, I was trying to, trying to make eye contact with a barman to let him know that I was on to something there. <laughs> uh- I think this is the last nomination, so correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I'd say Watkins wins. Est- well, Estupinian. Estupinian. Jesus. Or March could also win as well. It's a very even Rossenthal award. But the free kick. Austin McPhee, come down. You're going up on the Vyman meter. What a free kick routine. What a free kick routine. The John McGinn, the sky shot as well. I mean, who would have thought that he wouldn't take that shot on? This was this was genius. Even the man himself put out a tweet of the Roberto Carlos free kick, the Roberto Carlos free kick, and he said, "Who thought?" Question mark. <laughs> well, John McGinn obviously didn't think he was putting out that and taking the piss out of himself, but instead, it's a, an elaborate routine. McGinn runs to the side of it, and then Douglas Ruiz comes running around from from further ahead, and he, he just spins and chips the ball over the top. Gabby is gone. And Steele's out. Shout for a penalty. Did, did Steele get there first? I think they're both entitled to go for the ball, are they? I think they both pretty much kicked the ball at the same time. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a huge deal. I wasn't. I wasn't even particularly annoyed at it during the match. So now you know, two days later, I'm already going to be annoyed at it. But the free kick. Yeah, two days later. Was. It was so obvious that McGinn wasn't hitting it. Not only because it was John McGinn lining up a 36-yard free kick, but because 
Douglas Louise was standing, looking at him, waiting for the ball. He came like, when he was standing in the wall. It was a bit more believable, but he popped back out too soon, and it was too <laughs> elaborate. It was there was too much double bluffing going on. Let's look at Dean doing there. We know he's not getting involved in this. But what wasn't obvious was what the fuck was actually going to happen. I mean, it actually was a good routine from that perspective. I wasn't expecting a dink over the top to Diaby, and neither were the Brighton defence. So it worked really well. But the idea that anybody thought John McGinn was going to run up and spank that is nonsense. Uh, Well, we have a WhatsApp whinge, fine, named after John McGinn, taking on these type of shots. So I say more power to Austin McPhee. I'm giving him the credit for this one. (laughs) <laughs> the Tim Sherwood we played two number 10s and bamboozled them award Austin McPhee going up <laughs> no, the, the, the pressing really w- w- was brilliant I, I described it to start of the podcast the way we the way we the way we knew when to press where to press which holes to fill in the pitch all over off the ball was really good it was really coordinated Everybody was pointing. Everybody was talking. Nobody was being caught out. Nobody was doing anything stupid. It was brilliant, and like, like that's obviously a great setup from the coaching staff. Obviously, great analysis paying off. But the players to execute that and be so honoured and so in tune with it was brilliant. And then what it did on the ball as well was created all those one on ones. And Emery did talk about there was one on ones that he wanted to go after. I think it was very clear. I think it was like that. Yeah, let's get Watkins going at Webster and Dunkley. Let's get let's get Matt Cash. At Matoma, let's see if Matoma can mark Matt Cash. Like we created these mismatches all over the pitch. We we took Brighton's system and we 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 fucked them with it. <laughs> you know, it was really a, ter- a terrible day for them, and it was so perfect for Villa. And it was because of the it's because of the coaching and the plan going into it. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if what Unai Emery decided to do in this game was to look at what Ten Hag did against against them and say, fuck, I'm just going to do the complete opposite of that. And it would have worked <laughs> so well. <laughs> because what the, the, the key idea here was to stop Brighton getting on the ball in the areas they wanted to get on the ball, whereas what Man United did was just let Brighton have the ball anywhere they wanted it on the fucking pitch. So Aston Villa strangled them, forced them into areas where it wasn't as useful to have the ball. The pressing was incredible. Like going up in the five meter, absolutely shit through the roof of it after that performance was John McGinn. He spent the first half marking two people. John McGinn was yeah. first in at the press, and then whenever we shuffled Brighton out onto the wing where we wanted him because there was no room inside for him to come back in, John McGinn was the first person out. He was on a stupid man. He was on Matoma whenever he needed to be. He was committing fouls. He was winning the ball back. He was just darting between their centre half and back out, darting into their pivots and darting back out to the wing. It was absolutely incredible. It was like we had 12 players because we could get John McGinn to do two pressing roles. And he's one of the very few players in the world who you could ask to do that. And I think Deserby actually summed it up pretty well after the match when he said, we can't lose every tackle, every duel, and every second ball, otherwise you lose the game. <laughs> That's why this man's a genius. No, I don't want to be sarcastic about that. He's actually doing well. But the, the, the beauty of all this as well is this run now, this is 10 home Premier League wins in a row. And it's stretching back. It's stretching back to the Leicester and Arsenal games last year. Remember both games? You conceded four goals. And Emery was disgusted, especially the Arsenal one. It wasn't even the result. It was that they stopped playing the way he wanted them to play. 
and since then Villa have won every match at Villa Park and he was saying that he did he especially didn't want that happening at home like we needed to make it more of a tough place to come and by god he's gone about setting that in motion and Ah, it's, it's brilliant. I think it's, it's 10 wins. I think it's 27 goals. And I think they've only conceded four across those 10 <laughs> games as well. So it's uh, it's just great stuff. And remember, one of those goals is that Ansu Fadi goal, which only Aston Villa concede. That's just bad luck in Emery's part, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, and one of those four goals was, not only was it the Ansu Fadi goal, it was, in a, it was in a 6-1 game. So it was absolutely irrelevant as well. Yeah. And I actually think what he said after, after that Arsenal game was, even when they were winning in the pre, even when they had that little bit of a bounce afterwards, it wasn't the way he wanted to play. They weren't, they weren't implementing it fully. They weren't implementing it consistently, which was I'm, I'm almost certain was the word he used. But they weren't implementing exactly the game plan, exactly how he wanted it for throughout the the game. He was talking about getting a lot of goals on the counter attack, getting a lot of goals in transition, and that's not how he wanted to do it. He wanted to have control and offense and and, and defense and. Jesus Christ, he's managed to turn that around so readily. It's incredible. The Emmy Martinez is Ronaldo not hitting it. Shithousery <laughs> award goes to Emmy Martinez. I don't know if you remember or noticed in the 96th minute, Villa are 5 1 up. Your boy JJ Ramsey scored. And it was a Brighton <laughs> corner. And Martinez just pushed Tillemans to the ground. <laughs> It's just <laughs> there were people converging around the six yard box, but there was nobody really putting that much pressure on Martinez. Martinez was going looking for a bit of action, and he grabbed <laughs> his own player Tillemans, he pushed him to the ground, and appealed to the referee. <laughs> That's incredible. That reminds me of uh, the the lad Adrian we used to have playing in our five aside team, where the game was so easy because you and a few of the other GA lads they had in the team were just so fucking dogged and would run around the pitch stopping every shot at every fucking moment of the game, no matter what the score was, that he had nothing to fucking do. So the odd time that the ball trickled through to him, he just threw it back towards the opposition so that he would have something to do, hopefully. <laughs> The Paul Merson, ah, oh, that's just filthy award. I've got three nominations. It'll take some beating Ezra Kanz's run, that nil-nil, just breaking out from the back, striding out just like a Mustang, and he just caressed the ball, the outside of his boot. Nice little diagonal ball to Diaby going down the right. It was just gorgeous, effortless. It was just Kanza. <laughs> and this was a this was another big uh another big uh, nomination for Unai Emery as well. The Tim Sherwood would play two number tens and bamboozle them award. Ezri Khan's a stepping out. I mean that really freed up freed up some of our players caught us an extra man into midfield. It wasn't Pau Torres, he let Kanza do it because he knew Kanza had the physicality to step past the inability to defend of Danny Welbeck and Evan Ferguson. And it just absolutely exemplified in this moment as well. I mean, the pass is fucking gorgeous. And maybe that's why Diaby wanted to score it himself. And he just left Zaniolo standing at the disco on his own, <laughs> rejected in the corner. And, and Diaby tried his best to shift it. He did try his best to shift it onto his left foot. And uh, he just couldn't get it. He really, really wanted to put that in there himself. But he should have played it to Zaniolo and should have played it fairly fucking early. 
was Annie Olo did have a positive impact in this game or on the life of Luca Dean because on the left wing under a bit of pressure with the sideline staring at him Luca Dean drags the ball back and nutmegs some poor Brighton player wins a throw in as well in the process it was Zaniolo written all over <laughs> yeah we all know that everybody's been watching Zaniolo in training because that lad would try to nutmeg a fucking seahorse <laughs> and the last nomination I have for the Paul Merson award is Matt Cash's first time left foot over the top to Ollie Watkins. He completed a one-two. Watkins gave it to Cash, and Cash falling back on back back to the sideline, and he just scoops it up over the Brighton defender of his left foot. And Andy Townsend criticised it. He put he put it into the path of Watkins. It was lovely stuff. It was his left foot. It was a dink over the top. It was great. And Townsend was saying he, I think he was saying he didn't put it in front of Watkins enough or he didn't push it forward I don't think he realised it was Matt Cash's left foot it was it was brilliant stuff from Cash yeah and I don't think Andy Townsend obviously appreciated he can't play a bad ball the Ollie Watkins yeah exactly unless, unless of course you're putting them through one on one with a goalkeeper <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the Vyman meter happy to report it's not going up today well I did like I did like the what do you call it isn't a cardigan it's a top over the top of a shirt what do you call a zippy up top? Um, Unai Emery was wearing. But I'm only saying that because my mommy had asked me, what's Unai wearing today, Colin? And I said, Jesus, I don't know. And she said, she said, you better find out for the fashion segment. <laughs> the fashion segment. Yeah, that sounds exactly like my mother. I mean, who else could have raised such a plonker? As you <laughs> <laughs> going up on the lineman meter, did you realize how fast Douglas Louise was? No, I didn't actually, but he did show an incredible burst at one stage there. And and, and this is the thing as well that makes Douglas Louise such a such an intriguing player <laughs> is that Douglas Louise has everything he could possibly want. And now that Douglas Louise is doing his defensive job so well. And now then today we were able to see how good he is at pressing as well, just covering the ground and closing down spaces. It was like it was Bubakar, two Bubakar Camaros in the middle of the pitch. It was absolutely <laughs> remarkable. Yeah. He retrieved one on the byline as well that was getting away from him and he got it and he dinked a lovely ball into the box. It was a... Ah, like it, it's like... I think he does get more excited about going faster though when it's a chance to attack. <laughs> you know, I feel like watching him going back, he's a bit more happy to to jog back but you give him the ball he'll sprint faster than anybody you tell him to run after the ball to the byline he'll get there he's a he's got a bit of speed in his back pocket and i like it going up is matt cash right we give him a bit of shit after the everton match rightly so we just don't want them shooting from the corner of the box every time he gets the ball but he didn't do that in this game uh he was obviously brilliant from an attacking point of view he was brilliant defensively he was well up for this match matoma had one of the worst games i've ever seen him play and it was all because of matt cash really putting him on the back foot breaking his heart in defense yeah a lot of big tackles a lot of good interceptions driving runs he comes inside well sometimes like reminds me of alan hutton sometimes the way he come inside on the ball it's nice nice action with the ball he's um he's, he's, he's playing really well and this is a boy who i thought wasn't going to be starting this season i thought he was under serious pressure but he's just lifted his game to a whole new level 
Yeah, he's he's been very good, and yeah, we slag him off for shooting from the corner of the box because he's shooting from the corner of the box. And uh, <laughs> in this game, you're right to point out how quiet Matomo was. Matomo had one moment where he got free of Matt Cash, and he absolutely rinsed John McGinn. That was fairly early on in the match. I can't remember anything else that he did. I remember him rinsing John McGinn for a second time as well. I'm thinking, are you just going to let him run around? And then I just backed off because McGinn is also going up in the Vimeometer and done a lot of work. And it wasn't his job to watch Matoma. <laughs> but it was just the second time that he skipped by him, I was like, well, my cash is, is, is finding this okay. Why don't you just do that? And then I realized, <laughs> realized maybe I should just give Matt Cash the praise for, for doing okay on him. <laughs> Yeah, John McGinn was absolutely incredible. He was crucial to that first half. I don't, I don't think anybody... I know Watkins scored two goals and Diaby had two assists, but I don't think anybody had a bigger impact in that first half and how we played and how we dominated, particularly the 10th to 25th minute than John McGinn did. Mm. Watkins is going up, obviously. Kanza is in line to be the most consecutive going-ups of the Vima meter. Maybe Martinez has that... Has that accolade so far, but every single game Cons is going up and he seems to be getting better every single game as well. He's looking more like a leader too. I think Kamara's going up. I, I'm going to, in the spirit of Andy Vyman, I'm going to put Zaniolo up. I mean, he's probably on the ball. Maybe the Ashley Westwood winner, but he did a lot of <laughs> he did a lot of work. He was important for the system. He did a shift, and unfortunately for him, JJ then came on and lit the place up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Zaniolo came off as well, looking like he um, looking like he knew he had just completed a shift, looking like he had accepted his role in the team and in this performance. And I'm a bit I'm a bit surprised by that. I, I didn't I didn't think that's the type of player he was. I thought he would just be this silky. Silky bollocks who wouldn't do the running whenever you needed it, but it turns out that's not the case. He put in some shifts, some effort, threw his body around, and it was yeah, it was a, a very Andy Vyman type performance. Yeah. Going down We're gonna to have to say I mean we already talked about Joe Cole. We didn't like that he mentioned Gerard. And in fairness to Gerard in his last season at Aston Villa, or his last few weeks and months anyway. He had to do it avoid his brain. Avoid his brain, Michael Bean. Michael Bean. How could he do it without Michael Bean? I mean, how good Revilla under Gerard initially with the brain, Michael Bean. And the brain didn't last too long up at Rangers. Turns out maybe Stephen Gerard was the brain. Or maybe maybe there was no brain with the operation. It was just a, a team that came together well at that time. And Michael Beale doesn't have the Midas touch. He's lost his job at Rangers. No, Michael Beale is really effective with Steven Gerrard in the Scottish League whenever Neil Lennon is the opposition manager. <laughs> just just, just splice in the segment, Conan. Villa were shite when Michael Beale was there with Gerrard and Villa were shite when Gerrard was there on his own. <laughs> going down, the only other person I have going down, and I'm disappointed they have to put this person down, but it's more of a... Um, more of a feature as a personality, not exactly them in, in totality. It's Ange Postacoglu's demeanour in press conferences. I mean, I don't know if you saw his reaction. Like, a reporter thought of a really nice and clever way to ask about squad updates, and he said to him, he said to him, should I put James Madison in my fantasy team? <laughs> and Ange Postacoglu said... Sorry, a reporter said that? Well, a reporter getting when, to the bottom of what we want to know. When like, did you get accreditation? There's... <laughs> 
<laughs> there's a yellow flag on the fantasy app next to James Madison and what does this mean? You are the person that can tell us most. You can you can update the fantasy app for us. And Pasta Cogley replied, you can do whatever you want, mate. It's of no interest to me. Fucking put that guy through the top of the vitamin meter. Take him off. This is like Jack Reelish three years ago. Take this lad off the vitamin <laughs> meter, Conan. He can't go any higher. <laughs> I did keep the faith with Watkins yet again, though. Like I, I do. Like I, I am introducing a new role to the podcast, though. Um, on both of our behalf, it's it's that I get to or we get to talk about fantasy football once a month. And so, I think so. I'm, so you've already used all your goals in for this season. So <laughs> that's it. Done. We're finished. Stop this. Stop the segment now. What's the next fucking award? I'm gonna cash in my October chip right now because i've got a plan in fantasy football and it's it, it, it's you've got a plan what, what time is it you've got a plan <laughs> i need to strengthen now from a position of strength because ollie Watkins has so, given sorry, me hang, on, hang on hang on do you know you're competing against people in this league oh Why i'm competing. telling everybody what you're gonna do I am competing with the top 100,000, let me tell you that. People in this league have bombed Ollie Watkins out of their squad. I'm in a mini league with 25 people, and not one of them have Watkins in their squad. He's a top scorer in the league, in the fantasy league. Not one of them have him in. And anyway, I kept the faith, but now my weakest player is Rashford. And this really is an interesting dynamic, because it's like, okay... What do I do? Normally, it's easy to, to address your weakest player. Udogi, you can get out. Rashford now is a big player. You would have thought geez, it would be a while before he got around to that problem. But, Jesus, that's the problem I'm at right now. Any any quick very, fix? Very, very, very liberal use of the word interest in there in your preceding sentence. <laughs> what do you think? Give me a player off the top of your head that you get instead of Rashford. Fucking Erling Haaland. Can you get him in? Get him in, Conan. He sounds like a good player. <laughs> okay questions we can't answer but probably will I suppose it's a question that everyone is asking should we scrap VAR uh, <laughs> uh, the problem is if we had a scrap VAR for that Liverpool Spurs game Luis Diaz's goal still would have been ruled out because the linesman gave an offside the The real problem with this is that I, I can't get my head around why well, how how he got to this calamity in the first place? I think everybody knows the story by now. But um, Darren England, our hero. I I don't like the fact that Darren England's been dragged through the mud here. I mean, he was best performance I've ever seen at Crystal Palace v Aston Villa. But he's yeah, he's 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 um in a sticky position here now himself. But he obviously wasn't listening, wasn't paying attention. He was scrolling through his fantasy football team while he was going. And he's missed that it was actually an offside given on the pitch, and he said check complete, and he didn't realize that it wasn't like he was. He thought he was saying it's okay, allow the goal, but why when the free kick was then being taken for the offside, did he not just say whoa, 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 whoa sorry, balls that up, it's a goal, just go back like and and I've been told that because they can no longer do that because they've given the decision, that's it. I mean, like <laughs> they've they've already ballsed up. The linesman has already, or the VAR has already broken the rules by not paying attention, by ruling on someone that wasn't being asked to be ruled on. So either way now, the rules are being broken. What is the best thing to do 
for your own sanity going forward now for the next few weeks, for your own career and for this game. Just get to the right decision. Worry about the rest of it later. Sorry, don't take that free kick. It's a goal. Just go up to the center circle. Nothing like nothing big will happen there. People will say that was a bit of a cock up. But that's it. That's it. Like he's 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 ruined his career now. And I'm worried they're gonna go back and look at the other games. I'm worried they're gonna go back to the Crystal Palace match and think, Jesus, Villa got away with one there, didn't he? Let's re- <laughs> <laughs> let's replay that match while we're at it. I mean you're right, the the decision to not to not just Stay. Uh, hang on. Hang on. Sorry. Did I say that? What I actually meant was it's a goal. Like it. It's. It's. It, it's mind-numbingly stupid. I mean, it's. It's really. Really is a case of two wrongs don't make a right here. It definitely fucking doesn't. It couldn't have made it any worse. And I think you're. You know. You're right. A few weeks ago, this podcast praised Darren England for his decision making around the fact that yes, it looked like Chris Richards got in front of Ollie Watkins and won the ball, but he's shite, so he probably didn't. And. <laughs> And we praised his articulation and his communication skills as well when he was speaking to Devar and said, nah. And I, I know a lot of people are using this as evidence for the argument that Var is shite, but you need to be very careful about castigating Darn England in the process as well. If you want to get rid of Var, Darn England is your fucking white knight. Darn England is on a one-man mission to get rid of Var. He is your ally. Ally, don't be fucking bringing him into this as well. You, you know, keep him, keep him in the VAR room, keep him on the pitch as often as you, as as much as you need to, because he will get rid of this technology by himself. It's absolutely incredible that uh, you're right. Though the big, big thing is not, not just staying. Nothing is happening in this game. The ball's on the halfway line. I'm just gonna blow my whistle here. I'm gonna blow my whistle because it's a fucking goal. Yeah. Like, who would have complained about that? It's like, no, 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 you can't take it back. You can't take it back. I can't take it back. No, literally, nothing has happened in the game. Yeah. Well, the exact same thing would have happened. Like that, that already happened. So it's fine. It already played out. Spurs fan, Spurs fans would have ironically cheered, and then the Liverpool <laughs> fans would have got to cheer them back then because they turned out to be wrong. So that would have just happened one more time. They would have said it's a free kick. Spurs fans would have gone, yay, and then they would have said actually it's a goal. And then Liverpool fans would have said, "Yeah, hey, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> we all would have said, yeah, that's a bit sloppy. That's fine. Like, just, just get to the right decision. That's surely what VAR was supposed to be for. Like, if, if you can do one thing, whatever about anything else, whatever about the policy and, and the way we do things, like, like, I have to say that's not been held up too well anyway. Just get to the right decision if you can. Like that, That's the one thing that people would say, that's worth having then. We got a perfectly yeah. good goal allowed. Yeah, and and don't be and don't be falling for any slippery slope arguments around this either. You know, th- this isn't going to lead on to you know something a lot more nefarious happening. This was a fucking lad who wasn't paying attention and used the wrong two words, and the ball is just on the halfway line. <laughs> Let's just fucking sort this out and give the goal. Yeah. The second question we can't answer, but probably will. Do you think Pep knows who? He Chan is, or do you think it's just a prick? <laughs> I mean, because you know, there's so many ways you can go through this. I think my ma said, ah, it's not racist, it's like, but it's really disrespectful. <laughs> it's really, this is a boy playing the Premier League, and he's name checked two of his three, about, or, sorry, his only two forward partners. He said Neto, he said Cunha, and he said the Korean guy. I mean, if that was anybody, if that was the Irish guy, it would be like, it's fucking Seven Ferguson. Say his name. And I, all I'm wondering now is who who do we want Man City people to 
targeted Aston Villa with such disrespect. I mean, we got Grealish and Almiron, and we got Almiron on the biggest hot streak that any player has ever gone on. And then we got <laughs> Pep calling He Chan the Korean guy, and then He Chan scoring the winner as Wolves beat Man City. <laughs> Come on. The only person I don't want them to disrespect is Matt Cash because we know what he'll do. With <laughs> Look, I, I get it. Like, people have been telling Pep for years that that he's a god. Like, I get it. He has no self reflection and an inability to an inability to reason when it comes to himself. I also I also know that all our managers have had teams and players on the same level as Pep and haven't had the same level of success. And it does take someone special to take advantage. Of those advantages, you know, someone like Nico Kovac or Luis Enrique and the like. I, I, I know, I, I know, I know that being, I know that being deified for winning a treble with the greatest midfield of all time, playing behind a front three of the Premier League's greatest ever player, Africa's greatest ever player, and the Earth's greatest ever player, might impact on your humility. Like you know, being told you're a genius so early in your career for getting Busquets, Xavi, and Iniesta to dominate the ball against a midfield three of Michael Carrick, Ryan Giggs, and Anderson might give you an inflated sense of self. I get it. So I, I can see I can see why you might think having a squad that allows you to take the opposition best player from last season, spend sixty million on him, and then have have him taken off at half time and leave another sixty million player on the bench next to a hundred million pound winger and a ninety million pound centre half because because of the praise you've received early in your career, you, you can't understand that the opposition might be in the same circumstances as you, and you might sardonically suggest that they defend it well against you because you can't understand why everyone isn't playing precisely the same way as you. And all this, all this thinking about yourself so much, you know, it, it might, it might lead to you not being able to remember an opposition player's name, who you are praising, and who you have just analysed all week. It's either that or it's further evidence to the fact that you're a racist piece of shit who is so lacking in self-awareness or so caught up in his own hubris that you might repeat the racist actions of your player while being asked about that incident last year. We don't need any more evidence of this. He is. He's a racist piece of shit. It might be that or it might just be all the performance enhancing drugs he took as a player because he's fucking thunderclouds to go off in his mind when he's speaking. Uh, I'm trying to figure out now when are Aston Villa playing Man City because I have to tell you and I know we get a bit carried away sometimes after a, a good win but this this wasn't just a good win this has me buoyed now this this has me reaffirmed at how good Unai Emery is and on the 5th of December at Villa Park I am predicting that Unai Emery is going to do Pep Guardiola I think Villa are going to beat Man City <laughs> You were just happy leaving on the pep as a cunt, weren't you? <laughs> Leave ourselves compromised along the way. I was just wondering who you were going to stack your fantasy football team with for that game then. Well, that's their December question. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> And thanks a million for listening. We're going to leave that there. We're going to be back on Thursday. Sorry for the delay, but you know what? You know, we're giving you a nice podcast there. So just share it on anyway when you do get round to listening to it. And um, yeah, thanks again. It's been fun. It's been brilliant. Thank you, you and I, Emery. Good evening, everybody. That wind is calling my name. And I-